Hello, hello. Yes, we are back for another instalment of Pet Chat. Dr. Paul McCarthy, welcome to the show today. Thank you, Sarah. And you're sounding a little sultry, a little husky I know, I'm today. I'm Denny Moore than Paul McCarthy today. <laughs> <laughs> the advice will still be top notch, don't you worry. And Cheryl Shaw, another beautiful brooch today with uh, a little family of birds. Yes, and that's going to be my topic today, Sarah. Birds. Protecting the wildlife this time of the year. Well, we're coming into spring, so we're going to see a lot more wildlife. Busy time. Mm, okay. Today we're looking at our local bird life because uh, you got a present brought to you. Yes, I did. <laughs> Little Mystique was out in the garden after that windy day last week and she found a bird nest. So she presented with that. Didn't want to give it up, let me tell you. She oh. was so happy with her find. But it made me think about just what to do when you do find a bird's nest or, in, in fact, young birds because with spring just about here, we'll be no noticing that there's a lot of activity with the birds. Now, if you do happen to find a baby bird, there's a few things that you've got to do. You must remember to leave it alone. Observation is key here. We need to look at what's actually happened. So checking, if, if you found this bird, check to see if the parents are around. That's a really good starting point because sometimes there can be a missed opportunity. A, a, a bird may fall out of the nest. It could be pushed out. You know, they're quite adventurous little things. Yeah. But it also could be that the parents have actually decided it's time for the bird to leave the nest and um, it can take about two weeks can't it Paul for the fledglings it's to... a transition period yes. yeah so oh really so sometimes... they're just on the ground in yeah. that two week period and they're they learning be. to yeah. fly and and also the parents are actually watching over them sometimes they're just you know observing they're trying to give them the lessons that the birds need for their lives um, but what happens often people say oh a little bird I'll pick it up and I'll yeah. feed it or do something like that and that is really something that you should not do because birds have a special diet and it's really important that you don't start thinking well I can you know rear this bird it's it's quite illegal to do that but if you um, one of the, the things that you need to do is check if the parents are there you might see them then you might hear them check if you think that the bird has fallen from the nest or if it has you know been kicked out by its parents to start its little life if you do think that it's been abandoned or if it's injured you need to actually action that so obviously if it's injured you either need to take it along to your vet or ring the vet and just see what they um, what they would do in that case Paul what actually happens with an injured bird yes it depends on the severity of the injury um, of course wild animals need to be able to live in the wild again yes um, and so if they can't be um, medically treated that would enable them to be re-released then euthanasia is the kinder option for those birds um, but there's a really lovely group of volunteers locally who do take our birds when we do have them found um, some birds can't be re-released so um, they need to be native to be re-released so um, the, the Indian miner for example if found and brought to a vet legally we must euthanise, we, we can't re-release that bird because it's an introduced pest um, but certainly native species often go to a carer um, and, and to be honest most do in that often these birds are either tired or cold um, and often they're, once you warm these guys up they, they come back to life fairly quickly. Yeah, because this is the thing. If it's a featherless bird that you found, obviously they're going to chill very quickly. And, yes. Um, and, yeah, yeah, and there are some birds also that are very hard to hand rear because of the nature of their feeding process. So some birds require um, different parts of their beak to be tapped for the beak to open. Um, there are some sort of different... Um, 
I want to say rituals, but ways that mother encourages birds, and not all species can have that replicated by a human feeder as well. Mm. So there is a lot to be um, taken into consideration. And as you mentioned, it is illegal to raise a native bird if you have not had the training to do so. Um, and sadly, we do probably lose more birds to um, good intentions, but not necessarily well-trained um, backyard uh, parents who you try and do the job of the bird and sometimes that's just not going to be possible. Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? The other thing too is that if you've got pets and there are birds, little birds on the ground, it's really important to make sure that, you know, you you remove the pets so your cats and your dogs are going to you know be very interested Absolutely. in these so um there is something else you can do too if that if you think that the bird has fallen from a nest you can either get a um a bucket mm-hmm. or a, a garden pot and hang hang that in the tree the mother and father will come to the bird if it's if they're still looking oh, yeah and we recommend idea. that all the time yeah but make sure if you're using a bucket that you have holes in the bottom just in case it rains you do not want that to fill with water oh. yep. and put a little bit of leaf litter on the bottom just so that yeah. they've got something to soften to sit in so you hang it a couple of meters high like on one of the bottom branches yeah it just or? needs to be off the ground more or less of it predators can't get to the bird that to be is honest. a great idea but it's a that. really good technique because often the parents will still feed and they'll actually just they'll even work both nests they'll feed the birds that may be still in their own nest and they'll feed the other bird as well can, can the the parent birds look as though they're attacking their young because I saw a baby bird, this was last year, at the swimming centre, and it was there for a couple of days in a row, and I was really distressed about it. And there were birds that looked like they were swooping on it, so I thought it was under attack and it was sick and had been left there to die. But that could that be the parent birds, maybe? Uh, less likely. They're probably predator species. Yeah, so that's when the you miners should, you yeah. should yeah. intervene. Yeah. yeah. And they were, I'm sure they were Indian miners yeah, as well. Yeah, so they're quite an aggressive species. Um, they, they guard their territory. They will forage on other um, other. Um, birds, eggs and different things as well so that that would have been an attack and, and certainly one of those situations where stepping in would be much kinder right. for the baby. Yeah. 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 Okay. Just talking about that, um, you know, getting attacked, I, I noticed a lot of bicycle riders you know, the cyclists with <laughs> yeah. their crazy helmets yeah. at yeah. the moment getting attacked by the magpies. They look quite alien. <laughs> they do. But you know, magpies just on that, they've got facial recognition so the magpies that live around me don't attack because they actually they know, know who we are. So oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of birds yeah. have facial recognition. I knew but not to see it. I didn't know that. Yeah, the, the magpies do, and mm. the, the what are they? I know that. That's why they often suggest you paint big eyes on top of your bike helmet. Yes. Because if they if they see the eyes, it'll often be enough to deter them oh, as to well. Deter them, and yeah. the antennas that they yeah. all have sticking yeah, out of yeah. their helmets <laughs> yeah. as well. I love the, the call of the magpies. They're really gorgeous. Once mm. again, yesterday I was at um, Spears Point and I saw a magpie get attacked by about five or six littler birds. I think they were Indian miners are up pretty high. But I'm just like, God, they're awful. Yeah. Like, this yeah. And they were really having a go at him because you would see him fly and then one would just come at his wing and then he'd sort of, you know, have to redirect his flight. And oh, yeah, just makes you so mad. Well, interestingly, um, the Indian miner we call an invasion front. So it's actually being mapped by national parks and different government bodies because as the invasion front of the Indian miner moves across the coast from um, the eastern seaboard inland, 
it, they displace other species. Wow. So, so wow. parrots, lorikeets, finches, and a lot of our native species are being displaced by this invasion front of Indian miners um, to the point now where in lots of northern Queensland, lots of the native finches and parrots have been moved out completely That's so by, sad. by the oh. Indian miners. And because they don't have natural predators per se, um, and they're exceptionally good breeders, they, they can mimic sounds, they're, they're very intelligent birds, um, they do very well in, in, in this sort of invasion form. So watch this space. We're, we're in trouble from the Indian miner. <laughs> I know this is probably taboo to talk about, but are we, we're not allowed to euthanise Indian miners. People catch them. I've heard of people catching them. Is yeah, that's a so, no-go zone? So there, at this stage, there's, there's no legal recourse for, for, for homeowners to do that. Um, you certainly can talk to national parks about whether you can have someone catch those and remove them. Yeah. Um, yep. But, yeah, it's still yeah, euthanasia is in the hands of, of, of responsible people. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Now, Janine in Tookley, you've given us a call about hand-raising birds. Yes, I've got a hand-raised um, peach face. Um, he's probably about two, maybe three years old. And just recently with the, I think it's because spring's on its way, he's getting a bit frisky. Mm. And I just wonder, is there anything, like, I get him out of the cage every day and he flies around the house with me, but, but recently he gets on, if you've got a long sleeve shirt, he, he pulls your sleeve up and then he starts having a bit of amusement with himself. Yeah, so certainly it is the time of year that, that is, is sort of prompting that as well. Mm. Um, also, the amount of high-protein food in your diet. So um, often some of the seeds, like sunflower seeds and pumpkin seeds, are quite high in fats and oils. Mm-hmm. Now, birds will try to mate when they're at their physical fittest as well. So often reducing back some of the high-protein or oilier seeds can make birds feel that they're less able to mate and therefore turn down some of that, that frisky behaviour. Okay. All right. Do, what, what do you do as your routine feed now, Janine? Do you use well, a... Norm- just the... the um normally just a handful of seeds. He doesn't really go for the sunflower seeds. Yeah. So certainly, look, you can even replace that often with sort of um, things that, so that some of the blocks that are more about chewing rather than, than high mm-hmm. nutrition, just giving alternative um, food sources. And the other thing you can also do is alternative behaviour modifications. So um, more objects or puzzles for the bird to solve, um, yeah. hiding the food in behind things. So, that the, so, that, so a lot of the, the parrot family are particularly intelligent. And if you sort of yeah. create games for them to look at how they can find their food or navigate their cage, it often just displaces that sexual behaviour to investigative behaviour instead. Okay, yeah, I have added a few toys and things in his cage. It's getting a bit hard to move around. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a bigger cage as well, Jimmy. <laughs> but I'll certainly try that with the um, the different foods because he's been fussy. I, I feed all my others corn and celery, but, but he just won't, won't eat any of that. Yeah, and so he's already sourcing higher protein seeds. So the, there's more oils and, and proteins in the seeds, obviously, than there are in the fruits and vegetables. Mm, so you're probably yeah. finding that he's much fitter um, yeah, physically and therefore feels mm. it's, it's time to, to mate. Thank you so much, Janine. Uh, appreciate the call. 49216216 is our number. We did have a call from Paul. He wanted to tell us that he's got a pup uh, and it's protecting a small bird that has fallen out of a nest. Oh, is, that, oh, that's that's nice. is that a common thing, Paul? For, it depends for on the breed type. Oh, so God, some, the, some so the pointer family, for example, are bred to not um, move towards a live bird. 
they'll, they'll indicate where the bird is, okay. but their job is to not do so. And they've actually been bred that um, their mouths are soft. So when these were hunting dogs, they when they bit down onto a, a bird or, or a prey species, they were so gentle, but they didn't damage the, the, the bird, obviously, wow. for, for the people to enjoy the meat without the, the dog marks as well. <laughs> oh, you learn something new every day about dogs. It's fantastic. Thank you for the call, Paul. David at East Maitland. Now, you've got a question about a mature-age tomcat. Yeah, yeah, I have a... He's about 15, 16-year-old, and um, what what happens is of a morning um, just prior to sunrise, he, he gets up early and he um, scratches at the doors, and we know why he probably wants to go out, And um, but he has kitty litter and everything else inside. Um, but I'm just wondering if there's a, any strategies we can use with him, seeing he is a mature-aged cat, um, and he's pretty set in his ways, whether there's something we can do to um, prevent it. So, David, is it a new behaviour or a behaviour that's always been presented? Um, it's... He's, he's, probably, he's probably had it the last probably four or five years, I guess. Yeah. Um, what, what yeah, it does so. sound like is that there's probably some other cats in his environment that he fears he's going to lose his territory to if he doesn't guard it at particular times. So um, that one's a challenge in that if certainly for cats who do want to keep their territory, and particularly at this time of year when lots of wild cats are going to be moving through because of spring coming, um, that behaviour can be, be very strong in cats to keep that, that turf guarded. The other possibility too can be if it's a newer condition is that anxiety brought on by diseases such as hyperthyroidism where the, the, yeah. the thyroid gland produces too much hormone can change behaviour um, and sometimes that behaviour can be um, I need to really make sure I'm safe and some of that can be increased territorial guarding um, or anxiety behaviours. So th this could be a combination of the two. Certainly talking to your local veterinarian, there are medications you can use as calming agents for cats um, that can sometimes reduce that territorial drive. Um, I guess a bit like a controlled crying. Um, if, you, if you don't want the behaviour to be elicited, don't respond to it. So um, ignore the behaviour uh, or try and redirect, redirect the behaviour to another, another task. So it might be that that's the time that you might feed somewhere else. Um, you might put a game out there. You might get a um, feather on a stick. Do something that will actually take the mind away from that drive to get outside. Yeah, yeah. We, we, I tend to get up and feed him when he, or just prior to it or... Um um, or as soon as he starts doing it, I get up and I feed him, um, which most times alleviates it. Um, but um, but we have to we have like um, a little dog, and I don't know whether that's sort of um, he sort of little dog is fairly territorial, so I don't know whether it's sort of a mix of that type of thing. So. Yeah, generally, generally territory is, is more species specific. So cats won't be too worried about dogs marking in their territory. But they'd be very unhappy about other cats marking in their territory. Thank you for your call, David. Let's go to Margaret now in Taro. Your puppy gets car sick. Yeah. Tell Dr Paul about it. Yeah, Dr Paul, uh, we take our Staffy for a drive and he gets car sick. Yeah, how old is your Staffy? Eight months old. Yeah, so there's probably there's two possibilities in young dogs for 
what we call motion sickness. There can be true motion sickness where the vestibular apparatus in the brain makes them feel dizzy and nauseous, they vomit. But motion sickness as a, in its true form in dogs is actually fairly rare. But what may be happening is it's the anxiety of being in a moving vehicle and that would be the thing you could certainly train your dog out of. So the first thing really is to just... Um, you do this as a slow step-by-step process of getting him so used to being in the car on short yeah. journeys. So the first the first week, you'd put him in the car, you'd turn the car on, you'd sit in the car, driveway for five minutes, turn the car off, step out. So what, oh, we're, getting, okay. what we're getting used to is just the sound and the movement of the car without it actually driving. Then uh, yeah. it, once you start seeing calm behaviour about that behaviour, you step it up. You might drive around the block and come back and get out. So each yeah. time you're just extending the duration of the drive, but you're making sure that the process is so slow that the, yeah. the fear of being in the vehicle is being diminished by the actual um, amount of time he's spending in the car. It's about okay. deep, yeah. Often what happens is that dogs, uh, often puppies, go irregularly into the vehicle. And so... Okay. They, and so it's more about getting to go so regularly that getting in and out of the car and the car's movement and the car sounds are so benign and normal that it's just part of their normal day. What about feeding, like, breakfast before Yeah, probably take... don't feed beforehand. So, yeah. so you're better to feed after you've returned rather than before you go out. Um, and that's what it goes with any, any exercise anyway, really. You're better to do exercise on an empty stomach um, if you do get excited or, or nervous. Um, but in this circumstance, yeah. because the, the, the likelihood is that the response will be vomiting if I'm so scared, you're better to have an empty stomach to do that. Yep. Okay, thank you for that. That's all right. The best of luck. Thanks, Margaret. Now, Steve uh, in Barnsley, you want to uh, make a comment to Dr. Paul on our discussion about Indian miners? Yeah, hello. Hey, Steve. Dr. Paul, I praise you immensely on letting people know about the really bad menace of Indian miners. Oh, well, thank you. I think it is... I don't know actually how many people are aware about Steve, but it, they are an invasive species, and as a as a nation, I think we should probably be aware of how difficult this species is going to start to become for us. Oh, yeah. Uh, I've been out west, etc., etc., and they're even out there just invading everything. I have had the experience I had rosellas, um, in a nest box, um, and they were going quite well, and then the Indian miners invaded it, threw out all the babies, yeah. chased the hen out. Yeah. Um, Very common scenario, Steve. This is why we're losing some of our native species to the Indian miner. They're not physically destroying these birds, but they're making their nest boxes so inaccessible that they're just not breeding. Now, Dr Paul, there's also a native miner bird as well. What's the... What's That's called the, the noisy miner. The noisy miner. Yeah, noisy miner, a very pretty bird. with, a, with um, And you'll often see them, they feed on banksias um, and wattles and different things. They're very pretty. They, they actually are noisy, so they, yep. they do make a sound. But they're very distinct species. They're supposed to be here. Yes. The two birds don't look alike. So, Does um, the Indian miner have a yellow beak? It has a yellow sort of... Um, 
uh, wattle around the beak. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Black face, yellow eyes. Yes. A yellow wattle around the eye, sorry. Um, very distinctive bird, very striking bird. Um, but sadly, ideally, shouldn't be here. Yeah, yeah. And they're just nasty. They gang, <laughs> they gang up on other birds. You know what? They used to gang up on a cat that we had. They used to scare the cat and she would sit underneath <gasps> the seat to to try to get away. Well, remembering that they're clever. Yes. So they know that the bird can get their eggs, and so if they intimidate the cat enough, yep. away they go. Oh, They've no. got more front than David Jones, these birds, <laughs> I tell you. Oh, I, I just can't get over them, I tell you. Okay, we're going to go to Gwen now. Gwen, you've got a question today for Dr Paul? Yes, I have, thank you very much. Hello, Dr Paul, how are you? I'm well, Gwen. Okay, my little girl's, well, she's nearly 16, and she's She's blind, she's deaf, and she's incontinent. So is there anything I can do to help with her incontinence? Yeah, you sure, know, Gwen. She... Is she urinary incontinent or fecally incontinent? Yeah, both. She won't. She'll go outside sometimes, and another time she'll just squat on the mat, or wherever she is, she doesn't care. Okay, so for urinary incontinence, particularly for a female dog, um, there is a situation where the lack of female hormones in older female dogs cause the bladder to leak. Um, and that's a true incontinence. That's where when they're asleep, the urine will leak. If she's actively squatting, what it means is, sadly, is that she's developed cognitive disease. So a bit like dementia in people. She doesn't, oh, yes. she doesn't recognise now that she's not outside, that yes. what she's yes. doing is inappropriate. Um, yes. That one's tricky because really that's about, um, sadly, the, the grey matter in her brain is ageing and there's yeah. peri- periods of confusion where she just isn't quite sure where she is. Now, you can yeah. talk to your local vet. There are medications that can help with cognitive dysfunction. Um, there, yeah. is, there are some that can try and increase the blood pressure, sorry, blood flow to the brain, try and get more oxygenation of the brain. Um, and there yeah. are other medications that have been shown in people, one's called selegiline, which tries to help combat dementia. So I think this may not be so much an incontinent situation if you're seeing her actively squat. It's more the fact that she's cognitively dysfunctional. So she's not, oh, yes. not leaking. She just doesn't know that where she's going. No, she's not leaking. She just goes wherever she wants to go. Yeah. Well, she can't help it, can no, she? No, and, and, and cognitive dysfunction in an aged dog is, is sadly one, not, not a very common scenario. Yeah. And it's really more about management. You just sort of have them have as many accessible times where they can go outside praising them again, like you would a puppy. Yep. You, you teach them again all the puppy rules, hoping that some of that will kick in. Can you buy pap, um, puppy nappies? There are. Yes. They, they, they do have those. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. The important with those is remembering that, that most of those puppy pads are designed for bitches who are in season. Right. So they often may have the anal area free so that they can defecate. So you just need to check the right ones. Okay. Leslie in Morpeth, how are you today? I'm very well, thank you. You've got a little terrier that's a little highly strong. Well, Dr. Paul, I have two little terriers. Mm-hmm. One is a Norfolk male desexed. Mm-hmm. The other is a West Highland white desexed. The male is 15 months old. The female is 14 months old. Okay. Um, the female, the Westie is the one the problem. And I've owned a Westie before, but this behaviour is baffling. Um, the best thing I can tell you... I went to a breeder, she's pedigreed, she was going to be a breeding dog because I have bred dogs in the past. I've now learned some things about the breeder that make make me very distressed. Um, She claimed that she was one of nine in the litter, which I cannot either disprove or otherwise. Sure. Um, The woman was a shift worker and she lived alone. 
So I see the problems emanating from the first eight weeks of her life, actually, where she probably was hungry a lot of the time and not a lot of handling. Um, what what behaviours is she showing, Leslie? Oh, absolute erratic. Runs around like a lunatic in spasms. Um, the little the little male, this ex, is a beautifully mannered from a very good breeder, lovely little dog, and he puts up with a lot from her, and he does give it back, but only when it's really necessary. The other night, what she did, which I thought was very annoying uh, and naughty, I went to move her. She was sitting next to me on a chair, and she'd been asleep, and I said, come on, Xanthi, it's time to go outside. And she turned around and snarled and went to bite me. Yeah, okay. Oh. So, so certainly it would indicate to us that the behaviour, I think you're correct, is, is inappropriate behaviour. Whether it's come from genetics or from a challenging start, we, we, we wouldn't be able to tell. But certainly that behaviour would indicate to us that you'll need to work on that before it becomes um, a behaviour that's locked in. Now, mm. now, disappointingly, the age that your dog is at means that they've already reached social maturity. And yeah. social maturity is where, sadly, some of these, these behaviours become far more pronounced and, disappointingly, far more locked in. So it will be something to jump onto immediately. Now, what we would do in these circumstances initially is, is have a chat to your local veterinarian um, in that often the use of um, serotonin drugs, antidepressant drugs, can help with the learning process in dogs that have been um, beyond that, that sort of social maturity age. And I certainly mm-hmm. would think this is a circumstance to talk to you about, about having some medication to help you with the learning process. Sure. Now, the learning process is going to be about trying to encourage the dog to form some normal adaptive behaviours. So the growling, obviously, is, is, is a maladaptive behaviour. It's inappropriate. Um, and what you would do in these circumstances is rather than move a dog yourself is you would lure the dog. So you try and get a toy or um, uh, even a food reward and you would lure the dog to where you'd like the dog to be in that often um, in these circumstances what happens with with it, with this, if the dog gets aggressive, then we get angry. If the dog gets punished, um, and then the cycle continues. So it's it's really about trying to make sure that the bond you have is strong by not using any negative reinforcement. And often negative reinforcement is what fuels these behaviours. They've used other things in the past. They've turned their head away. They tried to ignore you. They've done behaviours that they're trying to indicate to you that they're not happy with being asked to move. Um, and then when those those behaviours don't work then they've got to up the ante and start bringing things out like the growl and like the bite. So we have to de-escalate that behaviour, wind it back by trying to get her to do things because she wants to do them rather than because you're making her do them. And that that goes in with all the other behaviours as well. So to try and encourage her to do some calm behaviours, make sure that you're doing sort of activities that she likes to do and then um, wind it down, give her commands as to when there's when we're playing, when we're not playing. This is a big topic, and sadly I don't really have the time to go through always with you, Leslie, but I would strongly suggest you talk to your veterinarian. They'll provide you with heaps of advice about that. Um, It's important to get onto it early. Some really good advice. Let's look at our dog of the week. Oh, who can resist a puppy? If you head to 2NURFM.com and have a look, we've got Cajun, who is a three-month-old male American staffy puppy. While I say that, obviously, you need to be in the situation to accommodate a puppy because they're not easy. Uh, But look, he's a typical puppy power pack. Runs hard and fast until he needs recharging. They go out hard, don't they, puppies? And then they just stop and drop and sleep. That's it. Yeah. 18 hours of of sleep and about, you know, six hours of 
full-on activity. Oh, but those six hours can feel like <laughs> a long time. Look, a healthy puppy uh, has been raised in a home environment and has been really well socialised with other puppies and adult dogs, both small and large, which is a fantastic start. Has also met a lot of people and is very friendly and affectionate with everyone he meets. He will grow up to be a medium-sized dog and would benefit greatly from puppy preschool and training. So if you're willing and able to welcome a new addition to the family, then this may be the puppy for you. Head to 2NURFM.com to get all of those details. Let's uh, pop over to the phones again now. I've promised another couple of callers. Janet in Mayfield, you've got a question for Dr Paul. Fire away. Yeah, Dr Paul, yes. Um, uh, my parents have passed away and, and there's a cat in, in the house that belonged to my mum and dad. They had the cat for, I think the cat's about eight years old and mum and dad only had it for five now, we, we, we've sort of promised that we would take care of the cat, but obviously the house has got to be sold. Sure. Um, how do we move? Is it hard to take a cat from one environment to the other? Reason being, where I live in Mayfield, only three street, we do have a cat next door that rules the roost, and I'm frightened to bring it in case they fight. And sure. Stuff. Is, is the yeah. cat an outdoor cat where it currently lives? Yes, it is, but it doesn't go anywhere. It just stays in the backyard. Yeah, and, so what yeah. I would suggest you would do first is um, bring the cat home and give the cat one room in your house. The litter tray's right. in there, the food's in there, so that the cat bonds to a room in its new territory before it's exposed to um, the full house and certainly to outside because often cats right. won't, cats will try and go back to where they've often been before. Um, so keeping the, uh, the the cat in that room, you go into the room, make it feel safe in that room, um, play games in that room and then after a sort of maybe a three or four days a week, you would open the door to that room so that there was exposure to the rest of the house. Now that room really is theirs for the time being. So um, right. uh, you try and choose a room that they know is their sanctuary but if they're feeling nervous, if they're feeling scared they can go back to that room um, and then gradually increasing the amount of exposure over a few weeks to even months so that the cat feels very confident in its home before you would risk an outside a journey. Now, the outside journey yeah. can be helped often trying cats on a lead first, so lead activity outside, um, yeah. and, and that's a good way to try and have them so that they're safe um, yeah. and also that the other cats uh, you know, aren't going to be around because you're there. Um, cats may have already claimed your backyard um, as, as their own um, yes. and so therefore that, that territory may be contested so be very careful about how that goes certainly don't let your cat out in the evening most cat fights will occur in the evening um, trying to, if you do have outdoor visits initially have them only in the middle of the day and ideally supervised oh. Oh, terrific. Thank you. Thank you very much for that. Good luck. Thank you so much. Okay. Thank you. Now, Paul, we did have another call. I think David thought we're out of time, but okay. we'll try and answer it anyway because we we do have time. Uh, now, we had Joe phone in, and they do say that cats tend to pick their owners, not the other way around. <laughs> very much so. And her neighbour's cat has adopted them. Yeah, so, common scenario. So how do you try to discourage this, or do you just steal the cat yeah i guess it, i guess it depends um to be honest most cats often have several families in, if they're outdoor cats they often graze from different houses at different times of a day uh, it's a very common scenario provided that the owner of the cat is not unhappy about the cat visiting then certainly a shared household is certainly workable um if you do want to discourage that then certainly it's just making sure doors are closed no food is out um 
water access. If you if they've got a cat of their own, you would try and make sure your cat's kept indoors and the other cat gets outdoors. It's about just limiting access and um, remembering that reinforcing behaviour keeps it. So if you talk to the cat, pat the cat, it'll keep coming back. Yeah, and I guess it's one of those situations where you've got to have that communication with, with the, the owners first. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I know certainly where I've lived in previous situations, um, lots of cats have been shared cats. Yes. <laughs> um, and we- often that's a workable situation. What I generally suggest is also make sure with the owners that there's no foods that that cat can't have. For example, is the cat diabetic? Is the cat got any conditions that food needs to be very limited in point. certain situations? Always talk to the owner of the cat first before you you semi um Cat share. Yeah, cat share, I call it. <laughs> we, we actually had a cat in Dubbo, Walker, which we rescued. And um, look, I loved Walker, but I guess she, she may have been felt a little superseded when Gizmo came along. Um, we, we, you know, and then she started to love our neighbours when we yeah. moved. And our neighbours loved her, and they were moving, and they asked if they could take her. <laughs> yeah, really common scenario. Lots of cats often have multiple owners in their lifetime. Well, and, you know, I said, oh, okay, well, she clearly wants to be with you. And then and for about a year, I kept sending messages asking how she oh, was, you're a good and mom. you know, oh, yeah. just I missed her. But um, yeah, she chose them, and they chose her, and yeah, and, and, and that's the way like, it was. It can be a lot of different things. Certainly, cats often choose people for very different reasons. Um, it may have been too busy with a the dog there. It may have been that the other house smelt differently. Yeah. Body posture of people can change as well. Um, as older people often attract um, adopted cats. Okay. Um, often because they're more relaxed and calm and show those sorts of signs. So, there you go. Yeah, so cats, interesting. Cats choose their own owners. They're very smart. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.